This is an important Sunday, as Sabrina mentioned in her prayer. This is the anniversary of September 11th. We don't forget. Remember the unity we experienced in the days following as a country, and we recognize how much we've lost that. Pray that in the coming years that that might return. And pray that that starts here in this church. So it's an important day, and it's the start of a new season for us. Uh, apparently fall is coming, that's what they say. Maybe sometime in December. <laughs> but today we, we begin this new worship schedule. Um, we get to gather for worship together in this renovated sanctuary that has just recently been paid off. <laughs> Some good news, right? Yeah. It's not even three years since it's been completed and we're free from that debt, so that's really good news. Um, it's a new season, we have a new schedule, we get to gather in a renewed space, and then today we start a new series. And I'm already wildly frustrated. <laughs> and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Uh, but we're beginning a new series that's gonna take us through the rest of this year, and the focus of this series will be to ask and answer a series of questions. Four really simple questions. What is the gospel? What is a disciple? Who are we? And what are the essentials of our faith? So those are the questions that we will ask and hopefully answer together throughout this year. Um, and today we start by turning to the gospel of Mark. We're gonna look at the first 10 chapters of Mark between now and then Advent, and then we'll come back to the final chapters during the season of Lent and Easter. So here's why I'm frustrated. Uh, we could very easily spend two years in the gospel of Mark. Easy. And I know because I've done it before. <laughs> there is so, as for the shortest gospel, there is so much here. But we're giving ourselves a total of 18 weeks. We get uh, this week and next week, we get chapter one. And then after that, it's one chapter a week from here on out. And for a Bible nerd like me, that is wildly frustrating. And I'm honestly worried that today might be a bit of a mess because there is so much here that it's really hard to focus. But I need to focus. And it's good work. It's healthy for us to navigate our way through the Gospels with a particular focus to be disciplined as we do it. And we're going to start that good work today. So we're gonna start with these first two questions. We're gonna wrestle with these two questions for the next 11 weeks. What is the gospel and what is a disciple? Um, in order to love God and our neighbor, which is our stated purpose here at First Pres, we are making disciples who make disciples of Jesus. That's our mission here at First Pres. But we won't succeed at either if we can't define some simple terms. So we're gonna do that together and we're gonna establish some working definitions of the word gospel and disciple so that everybody who's a part of this church is equipped and ready to answer those questions for ourselves and when we have the opportunity to answer those questions for others. Amen? So you guys see where we're going? Are you with me? All right. So I wanna go back and read some of what Beth has already written, uh, read to us. Um, and as we read some of these sections again, let's just look for clues and see if we begin to put together the pieces of these questions. Uh, starting in verse one, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, just as it is written 
In Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I'm sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay, three verses. And Mark has already done so much. He doesn't waste any time. We, the readers, we find out right away who this Jesus is. He's the son of God. And then Mark goes on to tell us more about what that means. He references the Old Testament prophets, prepare the way of the Lord. And that word Lord in the prophets, it's the covenant name of God. It's the name he gave Moses, the name Yahweh, the name so holy and sacred that Jews even to this day don't say it out loud or spell it. What Mark has done is he's applied the words of those Hebrew prophets to Jesus himself. He is the son of God, he is God. That's a lot to say in three verses. But the thing is that we are the only ones who are in on the secret. As we continue to read, the characters in the story, they're gonna find out who Jesus is along the way, but what we will notice is that they're never gonna fully understand it. And in fact, they can't fully understand what any of it means for Jesus to be the son of God, for Jesus to be Lord, for Jesus to be Messiah. They can't understand what any of that means until they find themselves at the foot of the cross and at the entrance to the empty tomb. So we're invited to ask ourselves the same question. We've been told who he is, but do we understand what any of it means? And Mark is writing to help us. I'm gonna skip down to verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, and immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice came from the heavens. You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Um, in the gospel of Luke, that story is told as if everybody in the crowd saw the heavens opening and heard the voice of God. And that's likely the way that it happened. But what's amazing about the way Mark tells the story is he makes it very intimate. He makes it a moment, a conversation between the persons of the Trinity, between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a really sweet, intimate mo moment. And it's telling us right off the bat that, that in order to accomplish the goal, to succeed in the work that has to be done, it takes the whole persons of God working together. The father sending and loving the son, the son receiving that love and then obediently going out to do what he was sent to do. And that work is empowered by the authority that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is doing their part to win the victory, to accomplish what has to be done if we are ever gonna be restored in relationship to God. Mark goes on in verse 12, he says, and immediately the spirit brought him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Okay, now this is really interesting. Um, honestly, this is, this is kind of an annoying feature of the gospel of Mark. There was a shocking lack of detail <laughs> Right, I mean, 40 days in the wild with the animals, tempted by Satan, and what did we get? That's all we got. We got one verse. Imagine the epic movie you could make out of those 40 days. 
It's a shocking lack of detail because Mark is not messing around. He uses the word immediately more than any other word in the gospel. This gospel will leave you breathless if you just read it from start to finish. He starts one story, immediately he's on to the next. This is really important for understanding and reading the gospel of Mark. If he is willing to summarize the temptation story 40 days without any details and use only one verse to do it, then what should we do when he actually does give us some detail? Pay really close attention, right? Because I'm telling you, every word matters. So now listen to this, verse 14. Now after John the Baptist was taken into custody, he was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. So like I said, we have to focus. So let's focus on this verse really quick. Let me pray. Father, um, as you have been with us throughout the service, we trust and pray that you are with us now that the scripture's been read and the gospel is to be proclaimed. Help us uh, to wrestle with these questions, to be equipped so that we can be your disciples in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's where I wanna focus. All right, so let's, uh, let's say this together. Um, you guys ready? Metanoite kai pestuite into euangelion. It sounded like they were laughing. <laughs> uh, let's try the first word. Just say it after I say it. Metanoite. See, you're speaking in tongues in a Presbyterian church. That's good. Um, I'm showing you this because this is one of the first words that Jesus speaks in Mark's gospel. And it's the word repent. <laughs> the first thing Jesus says, repent, believing the good news. I think a really helpful way for us to understand this whole verse, uh, for us to understand what Jesus is trying to say, is actually uh, to use a technique um, by our Jedi friend, Master Yoda, um, and, and say it in reverse, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody who doesn't, you got some work to do this afternoon. Go watch Star Wars. So uh, do it in reverse. Say it like this. Believing the gospel, repent. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So I want to look at it in that order. So the first thing, what does the word gospel even mean? Okay, good. Good job. All right, on to the next one. Okay. Um, there's a lot more to say. Listen, this comes from Tim Keller's book. Uh, this book is called Jesus the King. Um, Y'all, this is one of the best books I've ever read. It walks through the Gospel of Mark. If you want to pick up something to read while we're doing the study together, that's the one. Um, some of our classes are using it as a resource. But here's what Keller says about this word gospel. He says, the word gospel means news that brings joy. Good news, but news that brings joy. But he goes on to explain. This is history-making, life-altering news not ordinary daily news. He says the gospel is the news about an event that changed things in a meaningful and radical way. 
Uh, when Greece invaded Persia, the Greeks won the Battle of Marathon. You know what happened. You know the story, right? They sent heralds. Do you know what they called them? They called them evangelists. <laughs> because their job was to go through the countryside and proclaim the good news to the city. We have fought for you. We have won the battle. And you are no longer slaves. You are now free. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history. Something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. So Keller goes on to put it like this. He he puts it in context for us. He says, this is the difference between Christianity and religion. Says the essence of religion is advice. But Christianity is news. This is so important. Religion says this is what you have to do in order to find God. This is how you must live to earn your way to God, to earn his approval. But the gospel says, this is what's been done in history for you, on your behalf. Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Now, Christianity is completely different from any religion that has ever existed. Religion is advice. Christianity is news that brings joy. It should bring real joy. Repentance should bring real joy. Like religion, especially as it comes to us in our culture, I think it comes to us not only as faith anymore, but even now in the form of self-help. Like it can sound really good at first. It can sound helpful. It can even sound hopeful, right? If I just do this, if I take these steps, if I just do that, if I change a couple things here and there, then my life is gonna get better. My current troubles will go away. Has that really worked for anybody? And how many authors and YouTubers and podcasters are getting rich from stuff like this? It doesn't work. It might change a situation, but it doesn't change reality. You see, advice can be ignored. News demands a response. Like I think about more recent history, I think about the slaves on Galveston Island Right on that Juneteenth, when years later they finally received the news that they had been freed. If you had just received the news that you had been set free from slavery, what are you going to do? You're just going to say, oh, that's nice. And then go back to life as it was? No. Now we know the process is messy. It doesn't change overnight. But everything changes. You receive that news and begin to live as if it's true. See, advice can be ignored. But the gospel demands a response. And I'm telling you that every person has a response to the gospel of Jesus. You either reject it or you repent. You either turn away from him or you turn toward him. And that's what that word metanoiate means. That's what repentance means. Not just turning away from sin, not just turning away from a self-centered existence onto something else, but turning toward the king and turning toward a life in his kingdom. Y'all, we misunderstand the gospel when we treat it like religion, when we treat it like advice to help us live a better life. And I'm telling you, it's a false gospel. When you hear the gospel used in that way, red flags should go up because the gospel's not advice. 
Jesus doesn't arrive with all of this power and authority so that he can tell you what you need to go and do. He arrives with all this power and authority to do what needs to be done for you because you can't do it yourself. He fought for you. He won. And now you are no longer slaves to sin and death. You are free. This is news of an event that changes reality. And then he offers us the chance to respond. Believing the gospel, believing this good news. Repent. Turn toward me. So I've told you what a gospel is, but we still are wrestling with the real question, what is the gospel? Like I said earlier, our goal this year is to be able to answer that question, to find a theologically sound and biblical answer so that every person in this church can understand it and share it. But if we're honest, if I were to put you on the spot right now and ask you, how would you define the gospel? The odds are that you would start with the death and resurrection of Jesus, which leads to the promise of eternal life with God. And that is certainly good news, right? And it is the fulfillment of the gospel. It's the culmination of the gospel. But that's not where the gospel begins. It says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God in Mark chapter one. What hasn't happened yet? He hasn't died. He hasn't been raised. Jesus tells us where the gospel begins. The good news that in him, the kingdom of God is at hand. If we're gonna understand what that means, we have to take just a second. If we're gonna understand what the kingdom of God is, y'all, we can't start with our images of eternity after we die because we haven't been there yet. Uh, I haven't received any reports from anybody who has. Anyone? We know what's not there, sickness and sadness and death. We do have stories of people who have end-of-life experiences that return, and that's, that's what they describe, light and love, the absence of sickness and sadness and death. But other than that, we, really, we have no idea what it's like. So we can't go in that direction to understand the kingdom of God. We gotta go the other way. We gotta go back to where it all started. If you wanna understand something in scripture, where do you go? Back to Genesis 1 and 2. Back to the garden. Out of nothing comes everything. Out of chaos and disorder comes order and purpose. Into this newly formed creation comes life and the means for life to be sustained. Into a garden comes a particular type of life, human life. Image bearers of the creator himself intentionally put in that garden to guide it, to care for it, to subdue it, to use it, and to live off of it, but to help it grow and flourish. And as long as creation continued on in this direction, then the humans could exist as they were created to exist in the relationships that God made them for. The relationship with God, the relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, relationship with creation. And all that's required of them is to simply be obedient to a couple simple commands. The first one was to be fruitful and multiply. That leads to life. And it's pretty fun. 
Man, I thought that would be funnier. No, is that, is it just because it's awkward? A little bit, they don't expect me to go there? I did that at 9.30 and it was like dead silent, right? So, so I had to then follow it up by saying, okay, and kids, it's fun after marriage. <laughs> but you guys know what I mean? Like the first command in scripture is to be fruitful and multiply. Let life continue. And the only other command they were given was stay away from the root of disobedience and evil because it's not meant for you. Then we know where that leads. It leads to death and destruction. It's a lot less fun. That's Genesis one and two. The kingdom has its king, the king has his subjects. They get to receive the protection, the guidance, the mercy, and the love of their righteous king. He'll later call these subject princes and princesses. So simply put, I tell you all that to say a real simple definition, the kingdom of God is the place where God is king. That's it. Now, unfortunately, the story continues, right? And we we have to get to Genesis 3 where we find disobedience. We find the fall of humanity in all creation because in our hearts, the king was replaced with ourselves, replaced with selfishness, with self-centeredness because God being on the throne just wasn't enough. That's why we call it the fall because it, it all fell apart. So when Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, do you see what he's saying? Like he is announcing that in him, with his arrival on the scene, God's invasion into this broken world has begun. That God is taking back everything that's been lost. Jesus himself was a geographic point on the planet where God was truly king because he sat on the throne over all of Jesus' life, every part of it. And what happened when there was a geographic point on the planet where God's kingdom ruled? What came out of that? Like hope and healing, miracles, provision, Ultimately, what comes out of that is the greatest expression of love in the universe, a willing sacrifice on behalf of others. Y'all, this is why in another gospel, the disciples begin to protest and argue when Jesus tells them that he's going to leave, that he's gonna ascend to be with the Father in heaven. They're upset and they protest because the geographic point on the planet where the kingdom of God was being made real, it was going away. It was gonna be lost. Or was it? This is really important. If the good news that changes our reality begins with the arrival of the kingdom of God, and if the kingdom of God was present in time and space in the person of Jesus, then how will the kingdom and the good news spread after he's gone and returned to the Father? What's the plan? Now listen to this, it's verse 16. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. Immediately, 
they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went away to follow him. Okay, talk about a shocking lack of detail, right? Like the look on Zebedee's face, maybe? That'd be interesting. Uh, The conversation with Mrs. Zebedee that night when he got home. (laughs) asking where are the kids? But even think about this, and I think this is a subtle thing that Mark doesn't say, but but you should notice it. Jesus is calling out to them and he's on the shore. Where are they? They're in a boat. They didn't say the boat came into shore. What does it say? They left their father immediately and the men working the nets. What did they have to do? They had to step out on the water. Now, that's not a miracle story yet, but it certainly sets us up for one later, right? Do you see what Mark's doing? Do you see why we could spend two years here? But it invites the question, why did Jesus have disciples in the first place? Like, why find a group of people and invite them to follow along? Did he just want company? (laughs) Or were they a part of the plan from the beginning? Like this is from John's gospel, chapter 16. He says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples as they're protesting the fact that he's gonna leave. He says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. The same spirit of God that descended on Jesus at his baptism. The spirit that instilled Jesus with the power and the authority to do the work that he was called to do. To be a geographic point on the planet where the kingdom of God is present. And y'all, that is the very gift that he sent to those first disciples. And it's the same gift he sends to us today. When we respond to the good news by repenting, believing, and allowing him to take back the throne over our lives. So as we wrap up, do you you see what this means? Like, do you see how important this is? One geographic point on the planet where the kingdom of God was present, what happened to it when Jesus left? Did it go away? It multiplied by 12, then 72, 150, 500. By the time we get to the book of Acts, what does it tell us? That there are thousands being added to their number every day. 2,000 years later, How many geographic points are there supposed to be where the kingdom of God is now present on earth? Anywhere there's a disciple of Jesus. Anywhere there is a disciple of Jesus, there is a place where heaven and earth collide because God is being enthroned as king. The kingdom of God is the place where God is king. And y'all, I'm telling you, everything we've talked about today, this is a reason that the church needs to repent. Like I truly believe that the church is invited into a new reformation because what we have done is we have invited people to believe in Jesus, but we've presented the gospel to them as advice, not as the good news that will change their reality. Advice can be ignored. News that changes everything changes everything. Listen to how one author says it. He says, repentance carries with it the idea that we have some changing to do. There's a new direction to take. 
But that direction is towards God's future, not our past. Repentance is an invitation to trust in a future that has been made possible now by the grace of God. In Jesus, God has made it possible for God's people to do more than just sit here and recycle our past over and over and over. Jesus says repent because things don't have to stay the way they are right now. The truth is, if you repent and follow Jesus, things cannot stay the way they are. Y'all, it's the only answer. Do you want a fresh start? Like, do you want to move past brokenness and pain in your life? There's no advice. There's just the call to repent. Repent. Turn toward Jesus. Believe in the good news that changes reality and let it change your reality. Live into your calling. Because you were called to be a disciple. You were called to be a place where heaven and earth collide. Where the kingdom of God is present and on display for the world to see. Not perfectly, not yet, right? But in part, more and more. Until the day comes when he brings that kingdom once and for all, this is how God has said his kingdom will come. Through you. Through us. And we cannot do this without the power of his spirit. And y'all, I'm telling you, we can't do this without each other. Because believing and proclaiming the gospel, it is a group effort. The Christian life, life in the kingdom where Jesus is king, that life is lived in community because he's king over a kingdom, not a one-bedroom apartment. (laughs) The gospel is always to be lived and proclaimed in community. That's why we need to answer these questions together. So look, maybe you've given some of your life to him. We put out a video this week where we just simply asked you to recommit a part of your life, recommit your Sunday morning to him. That's a good place to start. But is that the only place? Is this the only place and is this the only time where God is king? Yes or no? No. No. Then will you let him be king tomorrow? Like, will you let him be king of all of your work days? Will you let him be king of your work? Will he be king over your finances, over your politics, over your morals, over your ethics? Will he be the king over your rest? Will Jesus be king of it all or not? If you want to move forward into God's future for you and into a better future for everybody, then just live into your calling. The good news has come. You're free. Live like it. You're called to be a disciple. A place where heaven and earth collide. Where the kingdom of God is present and on display for the world to see even in part until it comes again. Our job is not to do that for you. Our job is to be here to help equip you, to equip one another so that we can do what we're being asked to do. Amen? I am so grateful, God, that that you are asking to be king of every part of my life because if you were a God that only wanted a part of it, you wouldn't be powerful enough. You wouldn't be powerful enough to do what needs to be done. I'm grateful that in my weakness, you are strong. I'm grateful for the story that today we handed down to some third graders and that we all have in our hands each and every day. I pray that you would remind us, that you would convict us, that you would call us to not take that gift for granted.
to use your scripture to turn to you in prayer, to be reminded that you're not just the king of Sunday, you're the king of it all. That the chaos that ensued here 21 years ago on September 11th, that for a moment we had unity, but now we're back into disunity again. A lot changes in 20 years, some better, some worse, but you're still king over all of it. So remind us of that. And give us the courage and the confidence that we need to trust you and to take the next right step, to get out of the boat, to do whatever analogy you want. But to do the thing that needs to be done so that we can fully give our lives to you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,